Well, early last week, I experienced terrible persecution and oppression. I'll tell you the story. You're probably not going to be able to sleep the rest of the week. I spent Monday morning you know, diving into the passage that we're looking at today, diagramming out the grammatical structure, chasing down the nuances of various Greek words and meanings for, uh, for the idea of patience and perseverance. And after four hours of diligent work, I set off for lunch. And I go down 92nd Avenue and I stop at the stop sign, as we are supposed to do. And as I'm stopped there, I'm watching the traffic, you know, because they go slow through the school zone, and then as soon as it hits that 50 zone, they speed up, and so I'm, I'm tying my thing in. And I notice something in my rearview mirror. I didn't really know what it was until I recognized, oh, that's a great big bumper of a jacked-up pickup truck right behind me. And so I'm watching. The next thing, I hear this roar of diesel. And this guy comes around, pulls around me, and cuts me off and stops. Now, if you remember... The 92nd Avenue ends right where a service road begins. You know that thing? And then there's a barrier. So the stop sign is before the service road so you don't block off traffic going into the service. I know this because I have another friend who got a ticket for doing it wrong. So I'm very careful to stop at this thing. This guy jumps in front of me and stops blocking off that intersection. Now I can't go. In my mind, I thought, I'm going to ram that sucker. <laughs> Because it's obvious that he cares a whole pile more about his jacked up $120,000 pickup truck than I do mine. Just take a look at how I look after mine. And as I was about to do that, <laughs> creeping forward a bit, then I thought, George, what are you doing? You're a 62-year-old man, worked up about some 24-year-old kid with his pickup truck, and you just spent spending four hours studying about patience. But you can understand the persecution and the rage that I was feeling. I did manage to calm down, but I confess, as soon as I got to go, and I see the guy just ahead of me, and I'm thinking to myself, how can I shaft this guy? There's got to be some way I can get this guy. <laughs> so the spiritual battle I had between here and Denny's, or as I mean Denny for lunch, was just agonizing. Lord, help me. The truth is, though, we don't respond well to being what we experience as being victimized, do we? I mean, at least I don't, maybe you do. And last week, we saw this whole challenge about how we are not to be the oppressors and we are not to be the ones who extract from others, but instead we're supposed to be living with humble generosity, remember this whole thing, and, and don't be the oppressors. And now what does James does, he turns this around, he says, uh, uh, be patient then, we're going to read. And another way to say, okay, here's the other half of the equation. Not when we are the ones who are in danger of, of oppressing others, but what happens when we're the ones who are suffering? What happens when we're the ones who feel misdone by? Well, here's what he has to say, starting in verse 7. Listen, Alan. Be patient then, Alan, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield up its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. He's right at hand. He's right here. 
Brothers and sisters, that an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, brothers and sisters, don't swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. What he's basically driving at here is he's saying, listen, here's the punchline of the whole passage. When faced with hardship, be patient and endure. That's that's kind of the message. That's what it is, okay? When you live your life, when the guy cuts you off and all these things happen, when worse things happen to you, be patient and endure, says the Lord. And then he gives this, this first illustration. Six times he's going to say, be patient or, or endure in these, these, these seven verses. It's just incredible. And so when he gives this illustration, he gives the illustration of a farmer. And he says, listen, a farmer waits for a valuable crop. What James wants to do is he wants to remind us that, that he sort of began to address this issue of, of patience under persecution way back there in chapter 1. Remember how chapter 1 sort of foreshadowed all the rest of what he's doing uh, throughout these times. And this is what he said in chapter 1. Remember this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, so that you may be complete, not lacking in anything. In other words, so that you will become Christ-like. So he's saying, listen, remember I said way back there that when, when bad things happen to you, be patient because God is going to build in you the very character of Christ. And that's what he's driving at here in this passage. He says, listen, remember what we've already said. I am going to bring out in you a valuable, a precious crop, something good in your life when you go through hard times and you're patient and you'll persevere. It's something costly. It's going to cost you, but it's something that is costly in terms of its being valuable. Through trials and difficulties, be patient, says God, because I'm doing something precious in your life. And then he gives this little thing. You may not notice this. I didn't notice this. But he says, you know, just as a farmer waits for the spring and the fall rains, in that country rain twice. Now, I didn't really clue into this, but here's a little trick. That little phrase, every time it's used in the Old Testament, the spring and the fall rains, it's talking about the faithfulness of God. That's a little Old Testament code word that the Jewish readers of the book of James would pick up on. And he's saying, listen, be sure that you can count on this. If you will be patient, if you will persevere, if you will carry with the Lord through this difficult time that you're experiencing right now, you can count on God that he will do something precious inside of you. He will form Christ's character in you. Now, that's all well and good. And it's really not news to us, right? I mean, we just, you know, hang in there. We, we understand when you're going through a hard time. You just hang in there. You be patient. You, be, you, be, you persevere. You keep going. You don't give up. You don't back down. And so it's, it's kind of fine to say that, except it's so stinking hard to do. And our society, it seems to me, I mean, we do everything we can to not be patient. 
I mean, everything we know, we're, we're socially conditioned now to have immediate responses, right? Immediate relief, immediate answers, immediate response, all of these things. And it just, you know, just takes a couple of minutes before impatience builds in and it's, it's built within us, right? So God knowing this says, listen, I have built in some things into your life as a follower of Jesus to help you with this whole patient, perseverance, endurance deal that I'm saying to you, you need to live out if you're going to have the benefit of the trials and difficulties that you're facing. And the first thing that he tells us to do is, listen, stay in community. Don't forget about community. You know, I didn't really notice this until I was doing that diagramming out of the passage. And I was I'm doing this whole structural thing about how James writes this, uh, this out and stuff. It, it just shocked me how many times brothers and sisters appears. Four times in this, in this time he talks about brothers and sisters. Four times he talks about patience. Four times in this time where he says, listen, you're going through trials. And six times I'm going to tell you to be patient. Four of those times I'm going to tell you, listen, count on it. You need to be in community to help you battle your way through these difficult times. God puts us in a community of faith so that we can support each other and encourage each other to be patient, to be patient and to enduring, to hanging in what's going on. He says, don't forget about community. It's so easy for us to do the opposite. I'm so thankful for the elders of the church. I'm so grateful that the church, you know, runs by the elders because there's so many times in my life when something has come up in the church or something's come up in a situation, I'm ready to go in there, you know, British bulldog kind of a thing. But first of all, thankfully, I can't do anything like that before I run it past the elders. And then thankfully, the elders very often say to me, okay, you know what? We just need to pray and think about this for a while. Let's sleep on this for a couple of days. Especially back in the... Earlier times, I was even more impatient than I am now. And this is the, the value of community. It's hard. It's hard when we're being wronged. It's hard when we see things that aren't right. And so community can come in and encourage us. Just hang a minute. Let's just see. Let's wait for the Lord. Let's pray about this. All of these different things. And so he puts us in community. But then he says, listen, but there's a danger when you're in community. Beware of conflict with each other when you're in the community. And there's a couple of ways that that comes up. Number one, it is so easy, so easy, when we are under pressure to take it out on those closest to us. Isn't it? You know, just this last week, something was going on, there was an email, blah, 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 all these things, and I was, put me in, I was kind of grumpy or whatever, I came home for lunch, and, you know, I thought I was being a normal person. Finally, she says to me, are you mad at me? No, I'm not mad at you at all. But my, my demeanor, my tone of voice, my, I was still back in this battle back here. It's so easy for us to do that, isn't it? To, to sort of take it out in our mood or in our words or in our responses to those who are close to us when something else is going on. It can happen, we can do that with individuals, and sometimes we see it happening with, the, with grumbling about the church, don't we? I mean, how often have we been through a time where, where perhaps we or we've heard somebody else, you know, talk about, you know, the church this, the church that, or whatever, and kind of mad, and then, and then you know, you talk about them later, and they say, ah, oh, you know what, it wasn't that I was just in a bad mood that day. The problem is the damage has already been done. 
And so what God's saying is, listen, I'm, I'm giving you the gift of community, and I want you to stay in community so that you can encourage one another, so you can carry one another, so you, sometimes you have to challenge one another, but be careful that you don't turn it, this anger against other people. We need to be careful that we're honest with what's really going on in our life and not blaming those around us who love us because we can kind of take it out on them because we know they'll take it and they'll still love us. We've got to be so careful not to do that. A while ago, I was with a, a fellow who was dying. And I happened to be with him when his, uh, in a doctor's visit. And uh, this person, uh, you know, was getting kind of grumpy and angry as uh, they faced death and, and were, were making statements of frustration against family and people close to him. And, and I'm so thankful for that physician because the, the doctor said, now is not the time to push away. Now is the time to draw loved ones close. It's so easy for us when we're frustrated and we're mad and we're under pressure to, to push away, either verbally or physically or not be around or whatever the case may be. It's so easy to push away. But when we're under pressure, when things are tough, then is not the time to push away. Then is the time to draw near. Because it's a gift of God and the breaking of community and the isolation of us when we're under pressure, when things aren't going well, when it's nasty. It is the greatest tool of Satan to isolate us, to push us away, to leave us alone, to get away anybody that could give us hope and care for us. But there's a bit of a problem with community is that sometimes it is the community and a brother or sister in Christ that's doing the hurting, isn't it? I mean, I always say, man, if you haven't been hurt by somebody in the church yet, then you're not involved enough. <laughs> because if you are close to somebody, they're going to hurt you. If you are close to somebody, then they're going to let you down. And if you've never experienced that by the brother or sister in Christ or by the church, then you're not involved enough. You're not invested enough. You're like, yeah, okay, I just go there for Sunday and sing a few songs if the music's good and then I go home. No, you'll never be hurt. But you'll never get the benefit either. I remember when I was uh, taking clinical pastoral education, you know, they put you into these interpersonal relationship groups of which I was in great need, had to learn how to relate to people. And they stick a, you know, a counselor and a psychologist and all these professionals in these groups with you and you'd work through all of this different stuff. And, and I was telling them one time, I said, oh, nobody knows you 100%. I don't, I don't give myself to anybody 100% because that way if they shaft me, they're only going to hurt 10% of me and the rest of me is fine and they can just cut them out of my life and I can go on. And the psychologist said, well, you could do that, Alan. and You'd have a safer life. You'd also have an incredibly impoverished life. But you could do that. Well, I didn't want to live an impoverished life, so I figured, okay, I'm just going to tell everybody everything. Let them have the whole thing. And then, but it's, 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 it's a tool of the enemy to push away the community. But sometimes it's the community, then we're doing that, that hurts us. So how do we handle that? Well, he's got, a, he's got a few things to say to us. The first thing he says is that, listen, don't grumble against one another. You see, grumbling against somebody else implies judgment of the other person, doesn't it? If I'm grumbling against you, I've made a judgment that you are wrong, you are bad, you've done something wrong, or whatever the case may be. And, and, and he says, listen, don't grumble against one another, because that involves judgment, and the judge is really standing right at hand. And with the measure that you are judging other people, God will use that same judgment on you, Alan. 
So, when somebody hurts me, I'm not supposed to grumble. I'm supposed to say, you know what? I know it feels like if I hurt somebody, it's just by accident. But if somebody hurts me, it's because they laid all night, awake all night planning how they're going to screw me over. No. The judge is at the door, and the measure I use to judge you when you hurt me, so God will use that same measure to judge me when I hurt you. So don't grumble. Because that judgment stick I'm using, I'm inviting God to use against me. Secondly, don't grumble because God is patient with me. And it's in part because God sees me as I will be. God doesn't see me necessarily as I am with all my brokenness and my sin and my rebellion and you know, sin oozing out of every pore of my body. And all. God doesn't see that. God sees me as I am in Christ. God sees me when, when this maturing process of life is over and he comes on the clouds in glory and I, transformation is his image is perfected. And God's invitation is, is to pray, ask, ask the Holy Spirit, allow me to see on my brothers and sisters as you see them, Lord, as the completed image bearers of Christ. And we understand that there's brokenness and there's mess and there's all of that stuff right now and we can see that. But instead, God says, well, listen, if you want to not grumbling into another, see them as I see them. See them as forgiven. See them as washed clean. See them in perfection. See them as that character trait that is flawed and is, is kind of twisted, is straightened out and made right. That's the Holy Spirit to see that other person who just hurt you, who's making life difficult for you as Christ sees them. Not in their present broken form, but as they will be. And the same thing for the church as a whole. To recognize, yeah, we've got underwear showing up all over the place. And it's a mess. And you can, I can point out twice as many problems as you can. I guarantee it. But Jesus sees us as this beautiful bride. As the shining white object of his love and desire. And when we get hurt, and we can come up with the list of things that how wow, this is bad, and this is bad, and they this, and they that, and all those things, then it's, it's, Lord, help me to see my brothers and sisters, this bright, shining bride, the object of your love and desire, the one that when I remember Sheena walking down the aisle on the wedding day, and just the soaring of the heart, help me to see the church this way. Because that's how you see it. And so to be patient with others, God, as you are patient with me, and to see others as you see me. Then the grumbling stops. <laughs> the third thing, when I was doing this whole thing about grumbling, is one of the definitions of grumbling, get this, and this, this was really convicting for me, one of the definitions of grumbling is this, to sigh inwardly. To sigh inwardly. Now that, that gets really to the heart of the matter. I mean, this is like Jesus on the sermon, right? You know, you've heard it said, don't kill anybody, but I say to you, if you hate somebody, this is like, okay, so maybe, Alan, maybe, you know, by now, you know, you've learned not to say it, you've learned, not, you know, whatever. But this is like, okay, God says, no, you know what? Don't sigh inwardly. Don't be giving the rolling of the eyes in the middle 
of your heart. Instead, allow the Holy Spirit, Alan, to change your heart so that not only is there no outward grumbling, judging other people and inviting God to judge me the same way, not only is that, but, but in my heart, I'm not going to sigh inwardly. I'm not going to groan inwardly. Here's the deal. What he's saying is this. Listen, when somebody hurts you, when somebody comes in this conflict, when somebody, you know, there's some oppression to you or whatever the case may be, work it out, don't grumble against. There's a big difference. We're not saying that there aren't problems, there aren't times where I'm going to hurt you or you hurt me or whatever. And what God is saying is that, listen, don't just, you know, put that inside and roll your eyes and be mad or grumble to other people. No, instead, work it out. Go and say, hey, Alan, that really hurts. Or did I understand you right when you did this or did that? Work it out. Don't grumble against. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. And this is what helps community grow. Because as we work through pain that we inflict on one another, we become more mature in that relationship. You know this in your deep friendships, in your marriages and families, right? It's as you go through difficult times and you work these things out, rather than just grumbling at other people or writing them off internally, it matures that relationship. It deepens it. It works out. So the first gift is that God says, listen, you've got to be patient and you've got to endure when life's pressure comes against you. And the first thing I want you to do is to involve yourself in community. It's a gift to you. And sometimes they're going to let you down, but don't grumble, work it out. Because ultimately, if you do that, it will be a strength to you. Second thing he says when it comes down to how do I build my patience is what we've been singing about in several of these songs is to remember our hope. The Lord's return is close, says verse 8. As followers of Jesus, we live in hope of the Lord's return. We endure suffering now because we know that eternity is just around the corner. And what God does, he says, when you remember that hope, when you remember that that eternity lies before us, an eternity of of glory, of of Christ-likeness, of perfect community, of absolute wonder and joy, where every tear is wiped away, that is going to last for eternity. And when we remember that, that that is what we're living for, that is what we're already living in, then these things that are difficult for us, these hurts that we endure, all of a sudden they're put into a whole different perspective, aren't they? Also, we realize, like, you know, every preacher's always told us, you know, well, you know, look at when you have little kids. When little kids fall and skin their knee, you know, for them it's a great tragedy when the toy breaks or whatever, but as an adult, you know, well, it's going to get over it. That's what the hope of eternity does for us. It puts into perspective some guy cutting me off at a stop sign. Who cares? What difference does it make? I like what verse, verse 8 says, you know, because stand firm. You know what it literally says? Listen, I like this. Strengthen your heart. Those are literally the words that, are, that, that James penned there. Strengthen your heart. I like that. Because it talks about how, how this whole kind of a deal here in this hope is that, is that it's this inward side of things. Yeah, we're able to, it's not just stand firm and you know, we're not going to give up, but it's, it's the strengthening of our inner being. It's working on remembering our hope. This patience is an active patience where we strengthen our hearts. We do the things that are going to give strength to our inner being, where we apply God's wisdom, where we single-mindedly seek the glory of God and His kingdom, and where we build the new creation of the kingdom Christ is bringing 
That's what it is to strengthen our hearts. It's inner work. And we do it because we know that Jesus returns. You know that Jesus is coming. But sometimes it seems like an awfully long time, doesn't it? Really long. And so God inspires James to give us a couple of Old Testament examples. Job and the prophets. You know, at first, if you think about it, that's kind of a, it's a little bit strange using them as examples of patience. Because I don't know, if you read the prophets and you read Job, they complain a lot. Don't they? It's not fair. It's not right. You know, where's God? If I, he let me go with God. I'll defend myself. The prophet, you know, God, why don't you do all these different things? They complain a lot. But, but as you dig into it, there's a few things that become clear as to why God says that Job and the prophets, in spite of what we read at first blush, are actually illustrations of patience and endurance. The first thing is that God is saying, listen, you know, patience and endurance in suffering doesn't mean you deny the problem. It doesn't mean that we have to be dishonest about our frustrations or our fears or any of those things. No, it, they didn't deny the problem. They, they faced them. They stated them. They, they, they were, so it's not, you know, this patience doesn't mean saying, well, though, that everything's rosy, it's all good. Second thing. is he warns us that the very reason for our difficulties may well be that we're following God. It certainly was for the prophets. And it certainly was for Job. I mean, if you think of the story of Job, what, what caused him to go through all this suffering was that God said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? What a great guy he is. And oh yeah, well, let me just do this to him. Let me just do this to him. So he's saying, that, listen, following God may well be the reason that you're suffering. And increasingly, that's probably going to be true as we, society continues to drift further and further away from, from the teachings of scriptures. The third thing with the prophet in Job is to realize that God is happy to the one, be the one to whom we cry out in our pain and our desire for things be made right. When we speak to God about the things and the troubles in our life. It's not grumbling against other people. It's God takes those and sees all of those things and understands exactly where we are. He's happy to be the one. And we do that because God is active. You know, one of the, one of the definitions of patience is to be mild and slow in avenging. To be mild and slow in avenging. That's what patience is. Well, how can we do that? Because I'm going to trust that God is going to make things right in the end. With the hurt that's done for me, I don't, I don't have to seek vengeance. God's going to give that guy in his blue pickup truck a speeding ticket sooner or later. <laughs> be slow to avenging because God is active. God is at work and God is just and God is right and God is merciful. And he will bring about the right action at the right time. And the fourth thing on this whole example of, of Job and the prophets is that it can take a lot longer than we wish for God to act. Job and the prophets stayed faithful to the hope that they have in Christ, in God, 
even when those around them lost hope. Why don't you curse God and die? Though he slay me, yet will I slow him. God will bring about the good fruit in the end. And why do we say sure of that? Because of God's character. He is full of mercy and compassion. His very character demands of him that he will work good in our hearts and in our being as we go through this time of suffering. So, we remember our hope, even though it could take long. The third thing that helps us be patient and then to endure he says, but listen, in the midst of this, be careful of promises. It, it, first, it might seem kind of strange, that whole verse 12, how does it fit? And, and some scholars will tell you, well, it doesn't really fit. It's just kind of a thing he threw in there between the two sections. But brothers say, no, 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 he, he's still carrying on with this whole thing about being patient. He's saying, he's, he's warning about the danger of oaths, the danger of swearing, the danger of, of you know, I swear to, to do this sort of thing. You see, here's what he's saying. He's like, listen. For some of us, when, when we get under pressure and we want to get out of the conversation or we want to get out of the situation or we want to, you know, we just, we get impatient for resolution, there's a danger that we make a promise that we can't keep. That I just don't want to have the conversation anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to be in this situation anymore. Tell you what, I won't do that anymore, honey. Or I will do this, or I will do that. And, and the, the promises that, that we can't keep, me, we might even intend to at the moment. We say, listen, when you're under pressure, when you're suffering, don't make promises you can't keep. Because when you do that, just to try and push the situation through, just to kind of end the conversation, just to end the frustration that you're feeling as we're promising, okay, fine, I'll do it. Don't do it, he says. Don't make those promises because what happens is when you make a promise you can't keep in the midst of a conflict, you just dig the hole deeper. You make the trouble more severe. And what's worse is that sometimes we can see in the face of the other person that they can tell I'm just speaking out of, a, out of frustration. I'm just speaking because I just want the conversation to end. It's okay, fine, we'll just do this. They can tell that. And so sometimes what happens then is that we want to crank it up. We say, no, really, honestly, honest to God, I will do this. And an oath is to call upon the authority of somebody greater than us because we can tell that they don't believe us. Why? Because we can't do it. And you see how can this compounds the problem. It makes the argument worse. As a matter of fact, when we, when we start having to say, no, honest to God, I'm going to do this, you know, I really will. What I'm really doing is admitting my untrustworthiness. If we have to call upon somebody else, a higher authority, then it just shows that I'm untrustworthy. You know, how, do you know who the Essenes were? You ever heard of the Essenes? A couple of people. So you had like, the Pharisees, you've heard of the Pharisees, right? They were Pharisees. They've heard of the Sadducees, right? Well, the Essenes were another bunch. They were, they were a strict bunch. Actually, they, a bunch of them lived out. The Dead Sea Scrolls, you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls were the library of the Essenes, and they were a pretty strict bunch, and they thought that the, you know, they were not running the temple right, all these different things. And so the Essenes, Josephus, who's a historian, right, just born just right after Christ, so almost a contemporary. This is what he said about the Essenes. This is one of their rules. Josephus wrote of the Essenes. Any word of theirs has more force than an oath. In other words, if I say, if I'm an Essene, and I say to you, I'll meet you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. It has more force than an oath. Swearing they avoid, 
regarding it as worse than perjury, worse than lying. Why? Here's why. For they say that one who is not believed without an appeal to God stands condemned already. See what he's saying? That's what James is saying. When you're under pressure and you start making statements that you, you can't fulfill, you can't come through with this, and everybody can tell you can't do it, there's no honest to God, I'm going to do this. What he's saying is that all you're doing is you're saying, you know what, I'm a liar, you can't trust my word, but you know, you can trust God's word. And he said, no, 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 no. When you are under pressure and you're in these conflict situations and you're with your friend or your spouse or your boss or your employee or whatever the case may be, your neighbor, and the pressure's on and you just want to end it and you just, you just make, no, he said, don't, don't make these false promises. Instead, just live faithfully to your word. Yet your yes be yes and your no be no. I was raised ever since I was this high with my dad. A man's as good as his word. Just, you, you just live it out. A follower of Jesus fulfills and keeps his promises even at a cost. And the way out of a pressured up situation when we're suffering and when we're, we're in this conflict, the way out of that is patient, honest communication and then keeping our word. Patient, honest communication and then following through not over-promising, but following through with what we say. It can still be tough and difficult, but that's the response. It's to roll down the window at the new stop, the same stop sign, and say, hey friend, a buddy of mine got a ticket for not stopping at the stop line back there, and I would hate for that to happen to you. So just next time, that, that's why we have to stop back here to not block the intersection. God bless you, brother. It wouldn't work, but it'd work a whole lot better than me ramming into the side of his truck. <laughs> well, the truth is this. We're going to be on the wrong side of justice. Injustice, bad things, pressure, it, things are going to go wrong, life's not going to work out. Or it is going to happen to us. And sometimes it's going to come about because of the choices and the actions of other people. And it's going to be a lot more significant than a truck unrighteously jumping in front of you. And God's word to us in those pressured up situations is be patient, be long-suffering, don't lose heart or be quick to avenge. Persevere. Stay steady. Strengthen your heart and stand firm. And that's a tough calling for us. And God says, I know, listen, I know that that is hard when you're under the gun. That is hard to be patient and to endure. And it's so much easier to strike out or get bitter in our hearts. And so God says, listen, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a community to hold you accountable and to support you when you're going through this time and to remind you that God is forging Christ's character in your heart through this misery. And to look for that future hope of the return of Christ and to reach out for it and to count on it and to have the perspective that eternity lies before us and the suffering that we're enjoying right now, it is but a momentary passing misery and it's deep and it's hard but it's passing and compared to eternity, 
It's the blink of an eye. And don't make the situation worse, Alan, with rash promises that we can't keep and just trying to get out of it. But instead, patient, honest communication and then stick with what you promise. This is the way through these struggles with integrity. Well, obviously, these things are not the be-all and the end-all of how to go through the difficult times that we're in. But for me, they're a pretty good foundation. A pretty good place to start. Almighty God, uh, you are so patient with us and you persevere with us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we do, all of that stuff. But I confess that it's so easy for me to, to not be patient, to grumble, and certainly to roll my eyes in my heart. But Lord, you intend to do good in us in these circumstances. So help us to count on you as we count on the spring and fall rains that you will be faithful and you will do good in us through these times of pain and that somehow you will use them to forge Christ's image into us and to use these things to build your kingdom. So help us, Father, to stay in community, to embrace one another, to look for the promise of eternity and to be true to our word so that we give witness to your faithfulness. We pray through Christ. Amen.